We are back with the Cold Star Project, Lean and Mean, in our search for the truth about the struggles of scaling tech businesses. Today, we're talking with Stephen Pyle, the CTO of a company called Kaivio. Kaivio is an interesting company. It is a software as a service that is scaling, and they have galloped past seven figures in revenue. They're going towards eight. And that's what we're going to dig into today with Stephen. How do you do it? What are the things that you need? You know, in politics, there's a saying that people who got you here aren't the people who are going to take you to the next level, right? And I believe this is true in the world of tech. The systems and the processes and the things that you did to get you where you are today are not the things that you just simply need to be doing more of to get to the next level. So what does it take to move from seven to eight figures as you're scaling in a tech firm. Now, I want you to listen for a couple things, okay? As we go through this and we listen to what Stephen has to say, one of the main things, which I think will come as a shock to many tech founders, especially those who have not reached that seven-figure level, is this. The thing that you are so excited about, the, your baby, the product, is not actually what investors or those who maybe want to buy out your firm are interested in. <laughs> You're probably in for a big surprise here, so watch for that. The second thing to listen for is the deliberateness that you need at this level. This is not about sudden innovation or inspiration striking anymore. This is about one word, consistency. So let's dive in with Stephen, find out what the answers are to these questions. How do you scale from seven to eight figures? We are back for another sharp, cutting episode of the Cold Star Project. Our guest today is Stephen Pyle from Kaivio, a platform that allows you to know your visitors inside and out. Stephen, thanks for being here. Really Thank you appreciate for it. having me. Stephen is the tech master behind this growth. And what we want to do today is dig into moving from seven figures in revenue as many of our viewers are at, they have flown into, say, the two million revenue figure and found that money does not solve all the problems. <laughs> Just, in fact, it can enable you to screw up faster. So how do you get from seven figures to eight figures? And that's what we're going to dig into today. Stephen, let's begin with a simple question. What do we need to get from seven to eight figures? What's the, the essence of it? For me, it's obviously all what I'm saying is based on my personal opinion. Uh, we are uh, definitely on the way getting to the eight figures. And uh, for me, it's all about repeatable, predictable processes. Mm. Delightful. <laughs> so let's begin. <laughs> let's assume that we've got a tech founder who's very familiar with coding, right? The, the sort of nitty gritty about, okay, mm -hmm. how do I make a product and get it sold and okay, now I'm making some revenue. Whoa, that really suddenly took off. Now what, right? And then it's hit a bunch of speed bumps. What do you mean by processes? Let's describe what that looks like. A process is basically just a flow of steps. So uh, if I get a little bit of technical, um, you create a task. It could be either a feature task, you create a new feature or a bug task, right? And the process of uh, handling that particular task, that is your, your steps. So first step is, uh, let's say, uh, a new feature. So first step is that the coder codes it locally on their local, uh, local environment. Second step is they go and uh, push it on the Q&A servers. It gets tested. 
and then it gets code reviewed, then it goes to the development server, it gets tested again with some regression testing, then it goes to staging, uh, on staging it gets tested again with more regression testing, uh, use case testing, and from there it gets into your release candidate, release candidate gets all pushed together and it goes to production. That is a process from start to finish. Am I right, an example that I just gave you, that's obviously a very technical one, but the same can be applied to anything. Uh, so marketing as well, which is incredibly important. Like when we're talking processes from going from seven to eight figures, it's not just your technical processes that need to be well-defined mm. and uh, simple as well, but also your marketing needs to be that same uh, way. Like you need to have your processes there as well. If you don't have predictable income, uh, if you don't have a predictable way to acquire new customers, you don't know those numbers, you're not going to get to eight figures in my opinion. So, okay. So before we get, I mean, obviously there's, we're going to dig into this a little bit. There's going to there be a process actually of mapping out processes, right? That we're going to get yeah. to. Before you get there, what needs to be in place? What needs to happen or be taken care of beforehand before you even get around to thinking about, okay, now I need to map out processes. It's a good question and not an easy one. Uh, I think what needs to happen before you start with your processes is that you have a team. Uh, you have a, a proper angle uh, and a proper audience for your uh, product, obviously. And uh, you need to know your business model. You need to prove your business model first because mm -hmm. uh, software is a liability. Software is not an asset. It's always first about the business model. Have you tested the business model? Does it work? And then once it's proven, but you know, when you're at seven figures, it's definitely proven. <laughs> then you start automating the beep on everything basically. And that's what software is all about, automating and making it faster. <laughs> Steve self beeps himself. <laughs> right. ah, I wanna dig into what you said there about software being a liability. Can you explain more about what you mean by that? And, and are you talking about like apps and things like that that you're buying yeah. to help you? Okay. Uh, as well, but also your own software. It's not an asset, it's a liability. No, well, there, there, there's exceptions always, but most of the companies that got bought, get bought out from, by another company, by Google or whatever, they don't buy you because of your software or the product you've created. They buy you because of your customer list, mm -hmm. your email list, your... Uh, yeah, everything around that basically, your business model, that's what they're buying, not particularly technology. Yes, there's exceptions where some startups that are extremely high technology, um, where a big company like Google will buy you out for your technology, but still in those cases, they actually don't even buy that company for their technology that they already developed. They will buy you out to get your people because mm -hmm. obviously your people are very high quality and that's why you buy you out. So I think that's really important there. Okay. So, <laughs> and this is, uh, I think, a topic that a lot of tech founders would be a little bit, like they don't want to look at that, right? Because they, they came in to change the world and own the world, right? And make this solution. And they're really in love with that solution that they're making, right? But as you say, the customer list, which is a niche little niche market, right? Uh, is the most valuable thing probably that you have because it's leverageable. If I know that that group of people is there and they will buy this, that's, I can sell them other stuff, right? Related stuff over and over and over again. 
Yeah, so. and, and it's the business model in the end. Like you, what they buy is the, your business model that you have proven by then. Mm -hmm. And of course the customers that come with it. Right, and they are dropping their cost of customer acquisition like a stone. Yes, exactly, they because they look at the big picture. For them, like making an investment of a, a few million, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars is nothing based on their budget. Mm -hmm. So they're like, they just do the math. Like, oh, if we buy them out, uh, we have that business model, it's proven already. Uh, we uh, will have the customer acquisition cost, the churn and everything. And we can just do a math uh, on that. And, you know, it's going to be super cheap for them, basically. That's the whole thing. And for business owners, it's always about the product, right? Because that's the baby. But you're not selling the baby. You're selling everything that the baby produces. <laughs> I'm not right. sure if that's a great <laughs> Or around the baby. <laughs> yeah. The crib <laughs> and the rattle and things like the that. The loaf around the baby. That's it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if we could get that across to our, our listeners, that'd be cool. Because... It will make you into a more astute business owner, I believe. You may think about selling when you didn't before. You may realize what your value is that you didn't before. You may think about acquiring other companies as you grow if you, if you become successful. It's interesting how surgical or emotionless what you're describing is, right? Because it's, it's the opposite, as you say, of the, the founder who is, oh, I've created this beautiful thing and I love it. And no, actually, it's just about math when, <laughs> when you get to the higher levels, right? It is, yeah. It's easier said than done, obviously, because, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm very attached to what we're building as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think it's necessary be. because that's how you attract your people. And, you know, that's what it's about in the end. Like, that's the thing. Like right. you, the law for your product attracts your audience, but what you're selling in the end is your audience. Hmm. So it's hopefully a little bit of a mind shift for people uh, watching or listening. Okay. So let's say we've got our business model down pat. We understand it. We know we put X amount into marketing. We make 2X back or 1.5 or 10X or something. Who knows, right? But at least we know what it is and it's predictable mm -hmm. and profitable. We've hit that two plus million dollar market revenue. Things are flying, but we're overwhelmed because as founders discover, there's so many different places they could expand into. The strategic initiatives that need to, tactical initiatives that need to be done. And these are always changing. What mattered a quarter ago doesn't matter now, right? As you've grown to the next phase. But one of the things that is majorly important and effective in regaining a sense of control over what's going on is mapping out these processes, Yeah. right? What do you use to map these processes? Mostly uh, mind maps actually. So um, what we've been doing lately, so, you know, we are a funnel building company. And uh, one thing we realized is, I, I've seen this with a lot of friends that also do a lot of funnels as well. Like, yeah, we have a funnel here, we have a funnel there, we have a funnel there, and one over there, you know, this one works, oh, but this one doesn't really work, so we probably should sit it down. But that's not a strategical direction. Mm -hmm. Like, where you, where you really need to have a mind shift, in my opinion, to go from seven to eight figures is strate strategical decision, strategical overview of everything. And that's what we've been working on uh, very hard for about six, seven months now is to create an all encompassing strategy for our funnels. There's other parts of the business that need the same, of course. Uh, we're calling it the unified funnel strategy just to give it a nice name, you know, <laughs> uh, 
but it's basically it's not just about the small funnels you know uh, for example you know you have a, a lead a gen page then you have an, uh, a sales page an upsell page and a downsell page that's like a micro funnel to me mm. what i'm talking about is customer value journey funnels like mm -hmm. the big ones that a funnel that takes months for somebody to go through like start at a blog post then you send them a bunch of emails then you know uh, you you go on all the way and what we're doing right now is we're creating a strategy to uh, have all those funnels not just every direction but all pointing in the same one direction for the company growth and with the same kind of uh, concepts what they're based on so the process of creating that particular strategy uh, like I said, it, it, it's like six, seven months in the works already. So it's not something that you just, you know, uh, just create. And uh, I think it's based on experience and understanding your own business model a lot, uh, but also looking at your own company, at your own branding. Who are we? Who do we really serve? I mean, really serve. You know, when you're seven figures, you kind of know who you're serving. But I almost always guarantee you there's a second level below that of really getting to know your people and uh, about behaviors, about or, uh, what they still really want, doing a lot of interviews. That's really what we're doing right now as well. And then uh, just creating, well, the, the, the tool I've used as a mind map. And I think the mind map is really uh, helpful there. That's interesting. I, I love the strategic level that you're applying to the, the customer value journey and applying it to your funnel so that there's that consistency there, right? That's what yeah, we're talking exactly. about here is, is exactly. achieving yeah. consistency. In our company, Cold Star, I will send uh, an agent. We often work with clients who have a physical location, right? And and so sometimes we'll do this with digital companies, and that will do will do that with a lot of phone work. But physical manufacturing, let's say, I will send an agent there, and they will flowchart. There's there's symbols that you can use and software mm -hmm. to do that, and we will flowchart those processes, and that's a, a process in of itself of walking around and interviewing people and talking to them, and then also fact checking because what they say is not always what actually happens, and uh, you're nodding vigorously. <laughs> Even in the digital world, it, things yeah. always don't uh, turn out the way that they're they're said to be. So you got to check, right? It's that trust but verify sort of concept so so mind map is interesting that's a different way of thinking about it than i have thought about it before so i'd kind of like to see that <laughs> yeah so flowcharts are definitely uh, very interesting and we use them mm -hmm. for specific technical processes but i've never actually applied flowcharts for more strategical or marketing process it might, mm -hmm. might be interesting to try, uh, try out mm -hmm. the reason why we are using the mind maps uh, why i went with that is because I think it's easier for the staff, the employees of the marketing side particularly, to implement that. So mm. uh, they can just kind of follow the mind map of what they need to do. So it becomes like, um, I'm not sure if that's correct English, but fill out exercise. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, I need this. Okay, so click, click, click. Oh, here are the tools I need to do. And then it's just like, oh yeah, just applying basically. Right, and so conceptually. Yeah. You're, you're getting them into the right headspace. This is interesting because it goes back to what you say about software being a liability. The tools you use, are they're a form of abstraction, right? They're filtering the world around you and you're kind of stuck with the way that the tool enables you to filter. So yeah. that's, that's, this is why the, the mind map idea is, is interesting to me because it's a different way of filtering than a flowchart. Right? It's much more conceptual. Than a step by step, okay, A, B, C, one, two, three. 
and it looks less sciencey. It looks less complicated. It's less uh, overwhelming for for a non-technical person. Like I love looking at flowcharts, and they make sense to me. But a marketing person just goes like, "What does all these weird things mean? I don't understand all this." So, uh, and mind map is just way easier to understand in that kind of sense. Very cool. So who can we trust to do a good job of documenting these kinds of processes? Because it doesn't sound like just anybody. I mean, you know, in, in um, one of the things I've seen over the years many times is this idea that the worst programmer is the one that they get to do the documentation for it. <laughs> because like, his code is so bad. So yeah, yeah. let him make him do it. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> terrible. So who can we trust to do a good job of documenting this stuff? Uh, the business owner and not particularly the, the, the owner of the business, but the person who owns that part of the business, who is responsible. So it definitely needs to be a higher level uh, person. Like mm. in this particular example I was giving before, I did it. Uh, as the CTO, I did it. And um, it was funny because my partner, he's actually really good at marketing and selling and stuff, but he's not as organized not as process oriented as I, as I am because I'm a very logical thinker right and I needed when I showed this to him I think I I needed to explain like two or three times for him to fully understand the flow and that's also a good test you know like actually this on this very particular subject I, I just had an event uh, last weekend where I did a, a talk about this exact thing as well and uh, so at the end, uh, I asked some friends, like, was it clear in the end? Because, you know, I know this is all just in my head. And for me, this is all like straightforward. But does it make sense when I explain it? And most of them, yeah, with the visuals, it really helped. So I did the same with my partner. I basically did like a, a mini presentation for him online, uh, just with Zoom as well. And then he's like, oh, yeah, now I start getting it. Now mm. when I see it, now it all starts making sense and connecting. Okay. So yeah, definitely C-level people, or if you have a really good uh, uh, project manager, uh, I think they should be able to do the same as well. Right. And people can also hire a cold star agent to come out. And or that. <laughs> uh, okay. Now that we have the processes documented, they need to be enforced. And because uh, if we get deviation, we don't have consistency, right? And then sometimes it works brilliantly and sometimes it falls down on its face. And I think we would all agree we would rather have something that works at 80% consistently than something that's 120%, 10% of the time, and 20%, 50% of the time, and the rest, maybe it's somewhere in between, right? So who should be enforcing these standards? Everybody. Mm. I think that's the only way to really enforce anything. Uh, there will always be a lot of repetition and repeating, uh -huh. enforcing it, and remember, uh, reminding people about it. Uh, but yeah, like for for the technical parts, it should be lead developers, project managers, most, but also senior developers. Like everybody should remind everybody all the time because mm -hmm. it needs to become a habit, basically, to mm -hmm. go there, right? So without stigmatizing too much. Um, it also depends on what kind of people you have in your company and I'm actually going an opposite direction like if you have a, a lot of high-level thinkers like really smart people that think on their own um, they're actually might not be the best people for like mm -hmm. following instructions that closely because <laughs> they start adding their own kind of a little bit of salt right. a little bit of pepper and like I do that like I never really follow the instruction I always have to add my own stuff which is not always the, the best thing especially not when you're just starting with with a new mm -hmm. process or whatever and, uh, you know, there's other people that often are cheaper as well that are always this every time they start their computer and do a, a particular task, like, for example, marketing, content marketing, 
or just, you know, they, they go through the process. They start their talk, they go to your intranet, and they open up your, your SOPs, and they just go, step one. They do what step one does, and they go step two, step three, et cetera, et cetera. And then you actually get the real predictable, repeatable outcomes from your SOPs. And if you have all the smart people like, oh, no, I'm going to try something here. I'm going to try something there, you know. It's, <laughs> then you won't get those uh, predictable uh, outcomes, which are really important in my, in my opinion. And yes, there's a time to, to test, to experiment, but you have to also plan the experience. You have to know when the experiment starts and what uh, you're going to do, create a hypoth- hypothesis. hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Like my English sucks, yeah. sorry. <laughs> but, you know, and then see what happens. And if it improves, yeah, sure, change the SOPs. But don't just do that in, out of the blue, basically. Right. So what I'm hearing is build it into your company culture. Yes. That, look, this is where we refer to. It's, it's over there. Everybody knows. And, uh, and we do need to check through. You can use software. There's project management software that can map out these things. And, okay, now I have to check off that I did this. And it's, it's documented that I did it and I'm responsible for it with dependencies as well. I can't proceed to step two unless I've done step one. So this problem has been solved. (laughs) You can go get software to do this. Now, I like what you brought up about different kinds of people. A behavioral profiling system like DISC or Myers-Briggs or something will show up who is what. And then you can kind of maybe hire accordingly or at least know what you've got, right? Here are the cards in my, my hand, right, that I can play. And, okay, this guy is, he's a high eye maybe in the disc profile, and he's just not going to follow the rules and come up with his own (laughs) ideas. And that's, and okay, I know this. So either I really have to stand over him and make sure that he's um, conforming, or what I would rather do is bottle that creativity somehow and say, okay, let's give you the playground to play in. But let's define it, as you say. That's uh, you know between two and three o'clock, <laughs> you're going to be working on your own stuff, or spend some time and work on what you believe is innovative, or maybe you come up with a different uh, series of steps in the process. But at least write down what you're doing, and that's key, right? You don't want to blow past it, get a good result, and then go, okay, how did you do it? Well, I don't know. Right? I just did it. Oh, dear. We didn't learn anything. Right. So it's it's fine to have innovation. And in fact, there is a, a phrase that I've seen many times. Standard operating procedures or best practices are the enemy of innovation. You don't get anything new by playing in, in the same lanes. Right. So there yeah. need, there's room for everybody in an organization. But the, the key thing here is to measure, be clear about what you're doing have most of the people most of the time adhering to all the standards and then just some of the time under very clear rules about, okay, at least map out what you did. Go and play and create something new. Yeah, there's nothing worse than having success but not knowing Mm -hmm. how you got there. Right. You're better off failing and knowing why you failed than Mm -hmm. having success and not knowing why you had success. Right. I mean, that defies the idea of consistency that we were looking for. That's the reason we're doing this in the first place, right? Mapping out our processes and trying to capture what makes us successful and repeat it and, re- and scale it. 
So let me ask a question here that is probably going to rattle a lot of our listeners, at least the answer to it, um, because they're so embedded in the thing uh, that, again, like, like I was saying about the software colors your view of the world that you're using, right, the tools that you use. You start walking around with a hammer. Okay, yeah, I got the claw and I got the hammer and now I'm going to look for things to beat on or pull nails out of or something. When should technology be applied? When is it best applied? After you've proven your business model, I think, because, you know, like, yeah, it's going back, like software is a liability. It's, it's not an asset. You're, the asset you have, are, uh, assets you have are your people, your business model, and your SOPs. SOPs are a huge asset. If you want to, like mm -hmm. uh, some friends of mine, Empire Flippers, they do a lot of, and uh, not big business yet, like, mid-range businesses uh, they are basically like a marketplace and they like people go there to, uh, to sell their business and other people buy them and if you want to have a higher multiple on your business uh, then uh, the buyer is going to look on how SOP your business mm -hmm. is the more SOPs you have the better structured it is the higher your multiple is going to be right so yeah technology is applied after you've proven your business model and after, well, kind of during your, uh, the creation of your SOPs, because, you know, SOPs is not just a, a one moment thing. SOPs are living mm -hmm. documents, of course. Mm -hmm. Like some people forget about it. Like that's why I kind of disagree with you. Uh, well, you, you weren't saying it as an opinion, but like with the whole SOPs are the enemy of uh, innovation. I don't believe that because that's just approaching an SOP as a set thing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah. You have your SAP, that's your process. But it is not. Right. It's a living document. It should be updated regularly. Right. Um, it, it, should be that, it should be feedback loops in that process, again, mm -hmm. of creating your SOPs. And then you actually do create innovation, but slow and steady and predictable right. and repeatable innovation. Right. I love it. I love it. One of the big challenges that I personally have experienced in scaling a business is that feedback loop idea. It, sometimes either we've discovered there's either no feedback loop set in for a process that we felt was documented or that the, the loop was so long, like we didn't discover there was a problem until two weeks later or a month later or something. It, what can people do to shorten that feedback loop and, and ensure that it's plugged in there? It's, it's a difficult thing. Uh, honestly, I don't think I have a, a real cut answer there because it's something we struggle with as well. Mm. Uh, I think it's being on top of it. And I think, again, it's kind of a responsibility of uh, the higher level managers, C-level managers to ask for feedback. Mm -hmm. And like, you, like sometimes it depends on your company culture. We're still trying to prove that people are coming with it to us. But a lot of the time you have to pull it out of them. And uh, like, what's wrong? Tell me, tell me. Like, you can kind of create maybe a weekly or bi-weekly kind of setting, like uh, team meeting, either digitally or uh, in person, of course. And like, yeah, guys, what's wrong? Where is it wrong? Tell me. Like, you need to really know. And sometimes it is actually good to kind of stand over somebody's shoulder and see what they're doing to see, some, get some feedback from that point of view. But it's definitely a difficult uh, yeah, I think the feedback loops are one of the most difficult problems to, to tackle for sure. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. So <laughs> if you're listening, feedback loops are probably going to be a challenge and don't be too disappointed when you stumble with them 
repeatedly <laughs> and go, as I don't know how many times this has happened and I've shaken my head and gone, why, why haven't we learned? Why are we, are we stupid? Right? No, we're not. This stuff is, is challenging. It is, so, yeah. And, and so technology is to be applied after you've gotten the process written down in, in, a, like in English or in a language, right? A local language that you're using, right? Then you go and find the, the glue. It's like I, I, gave, I shared this uh, analogy before we got on. Uh, uh, imagine buying a model airplane, and as soon as you, without test fitting, as soon as you snap the parts off, you just stick the glue on and glue them together. You're going to end up with this sticky mess, and it's all over your hands, and the airplane doesn't look very good. So, so that, that is an image that was given to me over 20 years ago in my operations management training, and it's stuck with me ever since. So apply the technology glue last. That's kind of how you do MVPs, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. mm. Map it out or do the, the wireframe or the Photoshop Just type. Like idea. really fast gluing everything together while you're throwing it, basically. <laughs> And like then, oh, they like it? Okay. Assembling, <laughs> assembling your rocket uh, while you're, you know, flying, basically. Mm. That's how you do your MVPs. It's, uh, that's also a thing maybe worth mentioning. Like, in my opinion, when you're doing an MVP, it's okay to get a shit ton of technical depth. Mm. That's the whole idea behind an MVP. You need to have something that works, looks good, don't like a lot of people like, oh no, it needs to be like crappy. No, MVP shouldn't be crappy because your first impression matters as well. You shouldn't forget that either. It just needs to be very basic features, but everything still needs to work and be as much bug free as possible. But you know, during MVP creation, you rack up a lot of technical depth, which is the whole idea about it. It's good you do that. But then uh, once you go from MVP to a stable version, that's, of course, your hardest period ever. That's your survival period, mm -hmm. uh, your startup phase of the company uh, where you basically need to rebuild everything because your technical debt uh, will kill you in a, in a half a year to a year if you don't fix that. So a lot of the times it means starting from scratch. Uh, you just proven your stuff. So start from scratch, have a parallel project and rebuild everything the right way uh, because you've proven that business model. If you've done... Like this is, I think, based on the talent of your uh, lead developer and slash project manager, technical project manager. If they've done a really good job, and this is really not easy to do, you can still build an MVP which has solid foundation and go from there and just improving it instead of rebuilding it. But, you know, in my experience anyway, it's, it's so hard to do that, to really get uh, fast and get technical depth. And, but still have a good solid foundation so you can just improve and fix stuff uh, versus rebuilding everything from scratch. Okay. So tell us about Kaivio a little bit. Who is it for and what problem does it solve for them? Sure, sure. So Kaivio, um, we've been uh, working on this for quite a while. So uh, just on, on the surface, it's a funnel builder uh, to get started with your sales funnels uh, or any funnel, uh, lead gen funnels and everything like that. It's a membership site builder, so you can start uh, your, your membership site, which is a very proven, uh, very powerful recurring uh, business model, and uh, email marketing as well. But the whole reason why we built Kaivio is that we want to be a platform that facilitates and accelerates a global shift from a knowledge economy where we're at right now towards an entrepreneurial economy. Uh, we 
I'm talking me and my business partner, we strongly believe that the world is going to change so fast and so much with the coming of uh, artificial intelligence and stuff like that, mm. that like 70 to 80% of the people, all of the people in the world will start losing their jobs, taxi drivers, uh, um, truck drivers, and so much, even higher level as well, like even in the medical field, a lot of people will lose their jobs because of AI. And we kind of feel the, the solution to uh, against that, basically, the solution to that is becoming an entrepreneurial economy. I think it's already happening slowly. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is create a platform where people can start focusing on their unique superpowers and start uh, like you know creating solutions for other people for their audience without all the technical distractions. So they can easily start uh, going uh, on their entrepreneurial journey. That's kind of our whole mission with the platform. And we do that by offering different modules, uh, like mm -hmm. the funnel builder, of course you need funnels to sell anything. Uh, and then uh, the email marketing is still very important. Uh, and the membership side business model is just one, a very powerful to get started because we kind of focus on people uh, that have a lot of knowledge. So take, take teachers, for example. There's a lot of teachers out there in the world and they get paid shit basically like not enough because teachers are the most important people in our society i think and they could get so much more value if they teach it to the right people the people actually want to have their knowledge mm -hmm. and uh, we teach them how to uh, kind of uh, digitalize all that how to set up courses online which is not the same as courses in real life of course and then uh, start marketing that or using our tools on mar using modern uh, marketing automation tools uh, right now, we're not there, but our big goal is to create a enterprise-grade platform that has all the, the, the fancy and really advanced stuff, but make it simple to use and bring that to the small and mid-sized uh, kind of companies. Awesome. Okay, for those who are not watching, if they're listening, they can't see that you're wearing a Kaibio t-shirt. So how do you spell it out? Where can they go? What's the URL they can go to your website? So it's called Kaivio, kaivio.com. And the way I would spell it is really easy. Know your visitors inside out. So K-Y-V-I-O. Nice. All right. Well, Stephen, it's been awesome to have you here. Our guest has been Stephen Pale. Uh, what do you call yourself? Technical superstar of Kaivio is where I'm going to start. <laughs> no, <with>. just CTO. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. We've been talking about how to scale from uh, seven to eight figures in your tech business. All right. Thank you so much for having me. You awesome bet. conversation.